while they receive the offering, you guys, go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles. We are going to be in the book of John, the Gospel of John. John chapter 4 um, is where we are going to be this morning. Um, John is uh, in the beginning of the New Testament. It's one of the, the first, it's the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And you hit John. If you hit Acts, you've gone too far. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning and maybe you, you forgot your Bible at home, maybe you don't own a Bible, there's actually a Bible underneath the seat that you're sitting in. You're going to want a Bible, so make sure you pull that out. It's a white Bible, um, and we're going to be in John chapter 4. In that Bible, it's on page 518, I think. I wrote it on my hand. I can't read anymore, but I'm pretty sure it's 518. Uh, 518 is where we're going to be, John chapter 4. We've been in a series uh, called True Flourishing Is. And the idea is, here at Flourishing Grace, we talk about, about this all the time, we, we long to lead people into flourishing relationships with Jesus, and we believe that relationships with Jesus change everything for everyone. And so we want to we lead people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. What, what does that look like? How do we know? How do we know if I have a flourishing relationship with Jesus? How do I know if this person that I've been investing my life in and taking out the coffee and inviting to church, how do I know if they're, they're beginning to have a flourishing relationship with Jesus? What does that look like? And so what we've done is we've um, developed kind of seven core convictions or seven core values and that we'd say, man, if these things become true of our lives, we have a flourishing relationship with Jesus. It's evidence of a flourishing relationship with Jesus in our lives, in, in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of my neighbors. If these things are true, true, um, flourishing has begun for me or is, is taking place for me or for my friends, right? Um, and so we've been in this series now for five weeks. If you, if you want to kind of catch up, you can go online. Uh, they're, they're all there at flourishinggrace.org. You can find all five of these. Um, but there's two left this morning and next Sunday. And this morning, what we're going to talk about is uh, true flourishing. One of the examples of true flourishing, true flourishing is inviting others to experience that same flourishing. We invite others to experience a flourishing relationship with Jesus. When we experience true flourishing and with a true flourishing relationship with Jesus in, in our own lives, a natural outcome of that is to invite others to experience that same flourishing. Okay? This has happened, this happens all the time in your life. This, is, this happens constantly in your life, I, I promise you. I, I'm big on this, right? You find a new restaurant. You're like, this is the best food ever, right? You don't want to eat alone. You, ex- you want other people to experience that with you. You want to be able to talk about it. You want to be able to share that experience with someone else, right? Maybe it's a music or a song. Maybe you just, you just found this new band. This is so good. You have to hear this, right? And, and you're like buying the album or you're, you're going and you found a book and you love that book and so you buy extra copies and you're passing it out. You're giving it as Christmas gift. You want people to experience that same thing that you experienced. You want them to have that same that same feeling, that same emotion, that same moment, and you want to be able to talk to them about it. This is the same true thing is true with Jesus, right? The better the thing is, the more we want other people to experience it, right? And, and so if Jesus is the greatest thing, if he's the best thing, then we really want our friends, our neighbors, our family members, our cohorts to experience him. This is true of everybody who has a flourishing relationship with Jesus. It's been true for the past 2,000 years, right? A couple weeks ago, we talked about a guy named Peter. Peter, Peter finds a flourishing relationship with Jesus through his brother Andrew, right? Andrew randomly meets Jesus on the street, begins following him, develops a relationship with him, and then he goes to his brother Peter. He's like, Peter, you got to come meet this guy. It's the most amazing person. He's so, that's incredible. You got to come, Peter, come on, right? And Peter, 
because of his brother Andrew, meets Jesus, becomes a follower of Jesus, becomes one of the first disciples of Jesus, um, and then leads the early church. None of you would be here today if Andrew didn't invite his brother. And the reality is that there's somebody in your life, most likely there's somebody in your life that said, hey, you, you need to come check this out. I know, I know you think that you've got it figured out. I know that your life, that you're going through some hard stuff. Listen, I think there's a solution. And I think it's someone, not something. Come with me. Come, come, come experience what's going on at my church. Or come experience what's going on in my small group. You need to meet Jesus. Chances are somebody played that role in your life. And then somebody played it in theirs and in theirs and in theirs. This is just how this thing works. A mark of a flourishing relationship with Jesus is engaging in other people's lives in order to invite them into that same type of flourishing relationship. We're going to look at a story this morning um, in John 4 of a woman who has this, this very experience. This woman is a Samaritan woman. And for those of you who might not know a lot about first, the culture in first century Israel, uh, Samaritans and Jews are like oil and water. Uh, they do not mix and they do not get along at all, right? Um, there, there is a heavy cultural, racial uh, tension and divide between the people of Samaria and, and the Jews, right? And so right this smack dab in the center of the nation of Israel is Samaria. Right? And so uh, to the south, you have Judea, and then to the north, you have Galilee. And at this point in time, uh, if you were a devout Jewish man, a, a rabbi, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, and you wanted to get from Judea to Samaria, or sorry, from Judea to Galilee, you would not go through Samaria. You would actually cross the Jordan River, come up around, um, all the way around and to get to Galilee. You would take the long route just so you don't have to, don't have to deal with it. There's too many Samaritans in Samaria. You know, you just would not cross through there. You don't want to engage. In fact, um, devout Jewish men, if they're in a marketplace or they're, they're traveling someplace and a Samaritan crosses past with them, they would literally go to the other side of the street. They would avoid speaking to that person at all cost. That's how deep this tension is. Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews. It's kind of this, this half-breed offshoot of the nation of Israel. Like, no, nah, you don't count. And the Samaritans didn't like the Jews much either. And so the story here is a, as a Samaritan woman, and Jesus is a what? Jesus is a Jew. All right. Just, okay. Okay. Jesus is Jewish. The woman is Samaritan, is a Samaritan, and we're, we're laying the, the framework for the story. So let's go. John 4. John chapter 4 is, is where we're going to be. And we're just going to kind of read uh, a big chunk here. So follow along, listen along. This is the story. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea to the south and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, he didn't have to, but he says that he had to, right? So he goes through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, right? Old Testament idea, had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, 
and it was about the sixth hour of the day. So um, in first century Israel, they keep track of time by sunrise. So six hours from sunrise, and about noon, somewhere around noon, Jesus gets to this well, the Jacob's well, it had been a well-known landmark. Jesus sits down, and I'm tired. Sends the disciples into town to get some food. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He, he gave us the well to, and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to be thirsty or have to come back to this well and draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have, have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our, our fathers worshiped on uh, this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and it is now here when, tr when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to the woman. But no one said, who do you seek or, or why are you talking to her? So the woman left with her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. All right, let's stop there. Crazy story, all right? Uh, honestly, the, the idea of a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman at, at this point in time in history is enough scandal in and of itself, and it just, the scandal just builds and builds and builds and builds throughout the story, right? The woman, if we can just be honest, her, her life um, culturally in that day and even somewhat in our day um, is, is a bit of a train wreck. Okay, um, there's, there's a reason why she's coming to this well at noon in the heat of the day. 
right? The wells in, in a small village in Samaria would have been a social scene in the morning. People don't come to the wells in the, in the heat of the day and, and lug water back home. No, they come in the cool of the morning. The women and the children would have gathered around the well. They'd have had a conversation. They would have talked about what's going on in their lives. They would have talked about what's going on in other people's lives. They would have talked about what's going on in the village, and the children would have played, and it would have been this fun scene for people. But the woman doesn't come then. She avoids that scene. She avoids, she avoids the, the social scene of, of the, her, her town in Sakar and Samaria. She doesn't want to engage in that. And it's, at first it might be strange, but then we learn later why. She's a social outcast. She's been divorced five times, and she's living with some guy that's not her own. Now, in first century Israel, even for a Samaritan woman, that's crazy. In first century Israel, that's just not how the world works. In first century Israel, uh, that, that, is, that is unheard of, even for a Samaritan woman. And so what you have is a Jewish man engaging a woman. Even, even that for a rabbi to engage a Jewish woman, right? There, there's, a little, there's a little bit of um, kind of taboo going on there. But not just a, a Samaritan woman, not just a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman who has been married and divorced five times and is now living with some guy that's not her husband. This is just crazy. And so she comes to the well in the middle of the afternoon uh, in the heat of the day trying to dodge the crowd and she walks up, and there's a guy sitting there, a Jewish guy. And on that day, Jesus happens to be the guy sitting next to the well. Jesus looks at the woman. And he says, hey, how about you give me something to drink? What? Oh, hang on. Oh, you're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why, why are you even talking to me? Like, you're a Jewish rabbi. Why, why are you talking to me, let alone asking me for something? And Jesus says, if you knew who it was that was asking you, you would ask me for water, and I would give you living water. Now, frankly, she doesn't get it. She says, oh, yeah? Where's your rope and bucket? You didn't, the well's deep, homie, and you didn't bring anything. You, you didn't bring anything to gather water. Where are you going to get this living water? She says, no, 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 you don't understand. The water in the well is not the water I'm talking about. That water, you drink that water, you'll be thirsty again. I'm talking about living water. You drink the water that I have, and it wells up. It springs up into a well of eternal life, he says. You see, what Jesus is doing is, is he is saying, he is communicating to her, not, not water that we would drink, not, not water from a well or water from a tap. He's talking about water for the soul. He said, what he, Jesus is saying is, listen, in me, in me is, is living water that will quench the desires of your soul. The hurt and shame that you've experienced in your life, there's healing in me. The, the pain and the sorrow that you've, that you've had, that you have in your life, there's, there's restoration in me. You, you, the, the fight and the struggle to cling to and build things for yourself, there is peace from that in me. There is living water, and not just in this life, it springs up into eternal life. It's an eternal relief. You drink from this, you're good forever. And the woman says, all right, that sounds good. I would love to never have to come back to this well again. I'll just stay in my house, never have to engage socially. How about you just give me a little bit of that water, and I'll go on my way. She still doesn't get it. But here's what Jesus does, and it seems harsh at first, but he, he exposes her. He says, why, why don't you go, knowing, knowing the answer, why don't you go get your husband? We'll talk about this 
eternal water. We're talking about this living water. Go get your husband. We'll talk about that. He looks at him and says, mm, I, don't have, I don't have a husband, right? How do I dodge this? I don't have a husband. Jesus says, I know you've had five, and the guy that you're living with right now isn't your husband. Now, I don't know, but you, I read that, I'm like, that's harsh, man. Like, that, like that's, not, that's, not, that's not how you share your faith with your friend, right? But it's like in the middle of Starbucks, just like, oh, here's everything wrong in your life. Like, that's just not how you go about that. But that's what Jesus does. Like, every ounce of her sorrow, every ounce of her shame just reaches in, pulls it out, and just like lays it on the ground. Like, what up now? And the, the woman is just totally, absolutely exposed. All of her secrets, and I, I actually think it's more than what is recorded, right? She goes to the town people, she, and she says, he told me everything about myself, everything. She reaches and exposes it all, and you're like, man, that's harsh. But here's what he's doing. He just said, I have the answer. The answer is me. I am the Christ. The answer is me. I am the living water. The answer is me. The answer to your sorrow, the answer to your shame, the answer to your, the longings of your soul, the desires of your heart, it's all wrapped up in me. She's like, I'm good. Oh, yeah? <sighs> no, you're not good. And the reality is if Jesus was, walked in this room, he could do the same thing to me. He could do the same thing to you. He knows every ounce, of my, every ounce of my pain. He knows every ounce of my suffering. He knows every ounce of my identity that's broken and flawed. And he could just reach in and just expose it and lay it to bear in front of everybody. No problem. He knows you. He knows me. He knows every failure, every misstep, every shortcoming. He knows it all. And he lays it to bear. And the woman's response is brilliant. She's like, how do I change the topic of conversation, right? The first thing out of her mouth is, well, I perceive that you're a prophet because you know everything about me. Um, and, you know, you say that we should worship in Jerusalem in the temple, but my people say that we should worship here on the mountain in Samaria. In some, in Samaria. What, what do you think, right? Now, what that is, friends, culturally in that day, that was like the hottest topic between Jews and Samaritans, Okay. That's the hottest topic. So basically what she did was she gets a super awkward, red face, like she's getting hot and sweating a little bit. She's like palms are sweating. She's like, oh, what do you think about Trump? <laughs> that's what happened. That's what she just did, okay? That's, that's exactly what she just did. She's like, how do, this, this will for sure, this will for sure derail the conversation and we'll go someplace that I don't really want to go, but it's surely better than where we are right now, okay? Um, that's, that's what she did. You see, but then Jesus deconstructs the whole argument. He says, no, 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 woman, you don't understand. The day is coming. In fact, it's, it's here now. We're true worshipers, people who truly love God, will not worship in temples. They will not worship on mountains. They will worship God in spirit. They'll worship God right where they are. You see, you see I... I, Jesus, I am going to make them pure. I'm going to make them my temples. I'm going to take up residence inside of them. I'm going to send my spirit, and God is a God of spirit, and so we must worship him in spirit and truth. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to reside inside of those whom I have cleansed by my blood on the cross. I will die in their place. I will remove all of their sin. I will remove all of their shame. I will clothe them in my own righteousness, and in my own righteousness, they will become the most righteous. The holy of holies will be inside of your own soul, and that's where we will worship. 
Now, for a first century Jewish person, that's crazy because the temple is the place where you worship. But it's not anymore. Jesus has removed that. He says, right now, right now, the Father is looking for men and women who will worship him in that way. Will you be one of those men and women who say it's not about a place, it's not about a thing, it's not about rules. Man, the Spirit of God resides inside of me because of the work of Jesus on the cross, and so therefore I worship him everywhere I am as a place of worship. And at this moment, at this moment, the, the woman stands amazed at what's, what's, what's happening, but she still is ready to get out of the conversation. She's like, how do, I, how do I get out of this conversation? This guy will not drop it. He will not leave me alone. Like, like everything I say, he's, he's, got a, he's got a better answer. She goes, well, you know what? When the Messiah shows up, the one that they call the Christ, he'll figure that out. I got to go. And Jesus says, the one you talk about, the Messiah, I'm he. Now, what's beautiful about this, what's what's which floors me, brings me to tears, is that this woman, the first time ever recorded in Scripture where Jesus actually claims to be who he is, the first time it's ever recorded in Scripture where Jesus says, yes, I actually am the Messiah. I am the King of kings. I am the God of gods. I am the Lord of lords is right here. To a Samaritan woman who's been divorced five times and is now living with some other guy. That's who he comes out to. That's who he announces his glory to. And this is a massive risk for him. It's culturally, socially, for a Jewish rabbi to, to be in conversation with this woman, of all women, of this woman, is a massive risk for Jesus. When his disciples show back up, they're like, well, he's talking to a Samaritan woman? They don't even know her story. They don't know who she is. But just as a fact alone, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. He's like, what in the world? What's going on? What's happening? Like, I, I'm, they're so flabbergasted, they don't even ask why, it says. He says, man, I'll take a risk on you. I'll lean into your life. I'll wade into your sin. I'll wade into your brokenness because there is beauty there, and I love you just the way you are. I can fix what you've broken. I can straighten what you've bent. I can make right what you've made wrong. I can clean what you've made dirty. I can do that. Come, come to me. Let, me. let me restore you. Let me let me bring about healing in your life. Let me bring about restoration in your life. I can do that for you. I, I am the God of gods. I will bleed for you. I will give everything that I am for you. I will clothe you in my own righteousness, and, and I will usher you into eternity forever with me. And at this, the woman runs back to town. She runs back to town and she tells people in the village, now think about it for a second, the people in the village are the people who have been belittling her for years, have been putting her below them for years, have been talking about her behind her back for years. They are the ones that she has been avoiding at all costs. She's like, how do I get around not engaging with these people? She runs straight to it in boldness and excitement and joy. I found it. Living water, it's cleansing, it's washing and removing my stains. You've got to meet Jesus. You've got to experience what I've experienced. 
And they come to the well. It says that they asked Jesus to stay for two days. He stays. And at the end of those two days, many of them became followers of Jesus. Many of them entered into flourishing relationships with him. And at that point, they say to the woman, they say to the woman, man, we came because of you, because of your story. But now we stay because we've received the word of Christ. We now follow him on our own. The mark of someone who has this experience with Jesus is to engage in the lives of other people who have not yet experienced that. To take a risk. To not, not just people who are comfortable and safe, but people who, man, for this woman, these people, that have been so hard, so awkward. She runs straight in and says, you've got to come. You've got to experience this. It's the greatest thing ever. He's the greatest treasure. He's more valuable than anything I've ever had. I've never, never experienced anything like it. He is the Christ. He's come to rescue and redeem the world, and he has rescued and redeemed me. The mark of someone who has a flourishing relationship with Jesus, one of the marks, is to be so fired up about what Jesus is doing in your life that you can't help but share that in other people's lives. Does that mark you? Are you known for that? Are you known in your neighborhood, in your place of work, of someone who just loves Jesus so much that you cannot help but to invest in people's lives who do not know him yet so that they might come to a place where they, too, have a flourishing relationship with him? Does that mark you? People, are there people in your lives that you know, you know their story? I, I know, I know that you're going through a hard season. I know that you think everything is jacked up. I know you think nobody loves you, and I know you think it's beyond repair. But I'm telling you, there's somebody who, there's somebody who loves you. There's somebody who can repair that. There's somebody who can bring you back and restore what you've made wrong. Come, come with me. Come experience that. I, I know you think you have it all together, and I know you're pretending like you have it all together, and I, but I also know that you're just barely hanging on. There's, there's relief from that stress. There's peace in Christ. Come, come with me. Come experience this with me. Is this true of you? When was the last time you took a risk and invited somebody to engage in a flourishing relationship with Jesus? Friends, this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to end our service early. Um, we got about 15 minutes before we would normally end. Um, and so what we're going to do quickly... Um, is we are going to kind of um, do what we say we do. Um, a couple of years ago, we did this, and it was just it was like an, an incredible thing. Um, and we're going to do it again this morning. So in a couple of weeks, we have a, a chili cook-off coming up on Friday the thirteenth. Friday the thirteenth. It's going to be incredible. Um, there's going to be bounce houses and free food and, and chili and amazing prizes for our chili cooks. It's going to be so much fun. And we want to invite our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers in our neighborhood. So what we're going to do is we're going to end early. Kids are going to stay upstairs. Junior hires and high schools are going to stay down the hall. Kids are going to stay in the nursery. The adults in this room, we're going to go out into the neighborhood. We're going to invite people to come and experience people who have flourishing relationships with Jesus. We're going to invite them to the chili cook-off. We're going to say, hey, why don't you come? Why don't you come? There's free food and games and fun. You can enter the competition and maybe win. And here's the deal. What, what, if, what, what, if, maybe, what if maybe they come? We did this a couple years ago, and I'm telling you, tons of people from the neighborhood came. Some of you might be sitting in this room today, and that was your first thing you ever came to here at Flourishing Grace Church. What if they came? What if they experienced someone who has a flourishing relationship with Jesus, and that person began to invest in their life, and they came back on a Sunday, and they found a flourishing relationship with Jesus, and then as a natural response to that, they invited somebody else. And then that person then invited somebody else. And then that person then invited somebody else. 
And, and what if eternity was influenced because you had a card in your hand, and you said, hey, why don't you come to a chili cook-off? This is like the easiest in at Flourishing Grace Church. It doesn't get easier than showing up and eating chili. All right, that's easy and fun. Now, some of you might be uh, introverted, or maybe this is your first time ever here at Flourishing Grace Church. You're like, what is going on? What? And you, wait, we're going we're gonna to do what? I hear you. I'm introverted too. Uh, let, me, let me tell you something. Um, for me, I want to be a part of a church that actually does the things that they talk about. I don't want to be a part of a church that um, preaches one thing, says, one, oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, 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 and then never, never actually lives that out. This is simple, man. I'm going to chili cook. That's simple. And what hard is the woman at the well. I want to be the woman at the well. I want to be the one whose soul is exposed on the ground before Jesus, and he picks it all back up, and he puts it back together. And, and then I go to the hardest people in my life, and I can't wait to tell them about Jesus. That's what I want. This is simple. And so if, if, you, if, you, if this is your first time ever and you, and you want to duck out, that's cool. I, I get it. But just know we are a community of people who do the things that we talk about. This, we want to be an authentic community. If you are a partner here at Flourishing Grace, you're a regular tender, stick around. Come on. It's two, three cards, two, three houses, and then, and then you're done, all right? Make sense? We're going to break up into teams. So if you're sitting in this section right here, from, from the back to the front, my man Binger right here, he's got 20 cards for you. If you're sitting in the middle, you're in the middle, this is the most important section, right? My man John is going to take you. There's, there's, a, there's a development right, right over here, and you're just going to walk around that development and just invite people to come. Last time... More people came from that, from that community than, than any other rest. Uh, over here, my friends Jeff and Alyssa, uh, they're going to take you down the street um, if you're sitting in the section right over here from the front to the back, okay? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to get in teams. We'll go out and, and we'll open large teams, but we'll split up into groups of two. Invite some people. We'll come back. Pick up your kids. Have some fun. Um, it's going to be amazing. I promise you. All right? Take a deep breath, introverted friends. Let me pray for us. Jesus, man, ah, gosh, the, the reality is, is that, that, that you have done more in our lives. If, if, I know not everybody in this room is a follower of Jesus, but for those of us who are, you've done more in our lives than we can begin to explain, than we can begin to imagine. You've righted so many wrongs. You've restored so many things in my life. I've forgotten some of them. I remember the big ones, sure, but there's so many little things that you, that you have restored and you've made right. Let me, let me never be somebody who clings to that and says, this is mine. The gospel's mine. My relationship with Jesus is mine. Let me be one that's so moved by your love, so moved by your grace that I cannot wait to invite and engage in the lives of friends and the lives of neighbors and family members and coworkers, random strangers. Let us be a church that is authentic and true in our faith not clinging to the things of this world, not clinging to the comforts of life, but clinging to Jesus. And saying, man, there's nothing more valuable. You got to come experience the living water. Praise things in your name. Amen. Amen.